This audio recording is of Restoration Roads membership meeting, April 2nd, 2017. The speaker is Sam Ford and Mark Haxo. More information can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. Okay, let's, uh, if you could find a seat, I'm going to try and stay in the boundaries that I said, and you know how difficult that's going to be, but I'm going to try my darndest. If we start within seven minutes of what I say, I figured that counts as a holy time to start, so we're good. Um, I'm going to pray, and uh, we will uh, have this recorded, so hopefully you have a booklet like this. Uh, We printed, I think, 50. We can always print more, Um, and I say we'll have it recorded and we'll have the booklet so that if you forget um, or don't understand anything that I say or I go really fast, uh, feel free to obviously read the booklet, listen to the uh, audio, or just ask uh, any of the elders, or you can directly ask me and we'll try to answer it. So uh, my hope is to give some explanation, then to have a little bit of question answer, but sometimes it puts people on the spot and they're not really willing to ask those questions, but um, that's okay. So I'm going to talk most of the time and then I'll have Mark share at the end, uh, but we'll try to keep within the hour and then uh, be done. And then we'll hang out for for Q&A or have a little bit at the end. So let me pray and ask the Lord just to be richly present with us. Our Lord and King Jesus, we thank you so much for the grace that you have given us. I thank you for all that you have done to plant this church and to grow this church and to do your work through this church, Lord. We are just one church among many, but we are grateful to be a part of it. I thank you for the people that have been gathered together, the different personalities. It is such a joy, Father, to see your people love one another. And it's our hope, Lord, that you will give us um, great vision for what the future can be. And that through this church, Lord, your name and your glory will be made much of in this place and beyond. So, Father, give us big dreams. Uh, Help us not to be faithless or recklessly so or to be so faithful that it's actually crazy. Um, But, Father, help us to be in that middle, courageous in-between where, Lord, we make our plans, but you establish our steps and you stretch us a bit. So we thank you, Lord, for... Uh, all that you promised to do, and we pray that we will be perpetually governed by you in your word and empowered by your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, I'm, a, I'm a booklet guy. I put lots of information together, and I probably give you more information than you need to have, but thank you for being here. Uh, this certainly doesn't represent the entire membership of the church, but a lot of it. Uh, on the back table, there is a list of names, and those are the people that we have record of having signed covenants. And because we went through a transition from Damascus Road to Restoration Road, we did take a time at the beginning of January to say, look, we need to renew these covenants to make sure we know who is on there and who is not. And so it's possible, as I was talking to some people, that you just forgot that you needed to renew that covenant, or maybe you just uh, were thoughtful and are ready to now or not, whatever. Look back on that list to make sure that um, you are signed in as a covenant member, not signed in, but indicated. So we just understand uh, who really represents the core owners, if you will, the family members that are part of Restoration Road Church. Uh, Because on a given Sunday, there's anywhere between 320 and 350 people 
um, but yet we probably have a third of those that are members. Um, and so just so you understand kind of how the numbers work, uh, we certainly include the kids in that, but not in the adult members. You're probably about 180 to 100 people, depending on how you count that. So this booklet, though, is to give you a bunch of information uh, about, it says, to 2020. But this is just the idea of we're, we're looking ahead of what is coming, and I'll want to give some explanation and some details about what the elders hope to do, what we're pleading with God to, to do, and what we as the people of God here need to do together. Um, the first thing that you'll see as you open the booklet is I just want to give you a real quick reminder of who we are. My hope is that every member of our church will be able to have a napkin conversation with someone else about what our church is all about. In other words, it won't be really complicated. It won't be um, really difficult to explain um, that, you know, we are, if you will, saved by Jesus and sent by Jesus. Really basic. And so I'm going to talk about two things. One is just our core values. So we have this big phrase that we use a lot, and we use it a lot intentionally because we think it describes who we are as a church and this idea that we are restored to restore. And those three core values you see on the first page there are what really guide everything we do. And the way to maybe look at those under the umbrella of restored to restore is really simple. We are restored to relationship with God, number one, and that is through the proclamation of God's Word, which declares that we are new in Christ. The second is that we are restored to relationship with one another, right? It's not good for man to be alone, but when sin came into the world, relationships broke, and we got Adam blaming Eve, and Eve blaming God, Adam and God, and all these relationships are broken, and so we are restored to relationship with one another. That's a value to us. It's important to us. We believe that we are called to function like family, which means when things get difficult, we work through them. We don't just abandon one another. When there are needs, we meet them as a family. When we weep, we weep together as a family. When we laugh and rejoice, we rejoice together as a family. So we are restored to relationship with one another. We grow old together, and it's my hope to grow old together and to see God do amazing things over the years. So restored to relationship with God, restored to relationship with one another, and restored to relationship with the world. And what I mean by that is that our place in this world, our role in this world is made clear through the gospel. And the gospel tells us that we're ambassadors, that we are to represent Jesus to this world and we are to serve the world as if we are serving unto Jesus. So it is really quite simple. Those are the three things. We are restored to restore, restored to relationship with God, restored to relationship with one another, restored to relationship with the world. That's who we are. If you turn the page, we go, well, what do we do as a church, though? Right? What are, what, are the, what are the things that we press into? And we use kind of this, this, I guess, graph, if you will, to figure out why we do what we do and whether or not we're going to do something. So, for example, if someone came and said, we want to do a WANA, or we want to do um, you know, some program, some event, some something, we have to kind of be clear as an elder board and as a staff, like, where does that fit? And, and, and does that fit in who we are and, and what we want to do? And so when you look at this kind of framework, this kind of four-pronged framework that's on page six there, this gives you an understanding of how we're going to find balance as a church. So the top one we just call Road Church. Those are our gatherings. We believe the gathering of God's people particularly 
as we gathered, like we gathered this morning on Sunday, to worship, to proclaim God's Word, that is important. That's a value. There are churches and various philosophies of ministry that don't value that. They say, hey, just stay home, be in your house. We value that as a church. We think the gathering is important. We think the worship of God in a place, at a time, is important. And so that will be a value to us. We will invest in that. We will invest in, in preaching and teaching and music. This kind of explains some of the things like why would, we, why would we invest in these kinds of things? On the opposite side of that is road salt. So on the other side, right? So you got the gathering of the church and you have the scattering if you would, of the church, the sending of the church. And if you don't have a balance in that, you could just gather and just hang out with each other and never go out into the world and tell anyone anything about Jesus or serve anyone unto Jesus. And so we are committed to sending, and that starts locally, that starts with service, and that goes as far as mission trips in different places of the world or locally, but also church planting. So we want to be known as a church that gathers and, and worships and studies God's Word is a serious battle. We also want to be a people known for sending, for sending people out, church plants, service projects, whatever it is, so that we can be the ambassadors that God has called us to be. The other spectrum, or the, the horizontal kind of, or x-axis, I should say, is between road work and road groups. So road groups, quite simply, is just small communities, and that's where we as the church break up into smaller groups as the church, and we love one another. It's really hard to know one another well and to love one another well on a Sunday morning. But in a group, in a small group of people, and we realize that some groups are bigger than others, that is where we fulfill the 50-plus commands of Jesus to one another, confess our sins to one another, love one another, support one another, pray for one another. Those are the places where that's tangibly lived out. It's, it's, it's largely fellowship. It's largely knowing each other, being known, caring for each other, counseling each other, discipling one another. But on the other side of that spectrum is road work, and that is the training. That is where we get serious about studying God's Word. We get a little more formalized about studying God's Word. Because if you only have fellowship and you have no training at all, you got all kinds of love for each other, but you may not be growing and maturing in Christ by speaking the truth and studying the truth and learning the truth and letting it shape you. On the other side, if you only get together and study God's Word and you only get together and talk theology, you never actually talk in the sense about one another's hearts, you never really love one another, but you talk a lot to each other, that's out of balance. And so those four things are what we do as a church. We're going to gather on Sundays and worship. We're going to call people to be sent and go into different places of the world and locally go and serve and go on church plants. We're going to call people to be in small groups so that they can know one another and love one another and support one another. And all the benevolence needs that, that come up, the, the large church certainly may be called in at times to help, but we want the small groups to know that need and, and support that need. All the counseling and, and all those things hopefully takes place in the group. And then we gather together in small groups in different places and we study. We are people of the book. We love theology. We love doctrine. We love Bible. We're going to study. So those are the things you do. And my hope is that you will be able to have a basic napkin conversation with people about who we are and what we do and why. And why we don't do certain things. Because we can only commit to certain things and do them well. And so that's what we're going to do. All right, 
As we move on, that's, that's our purpose. Very simple. If you move on, it says person. And so this is a family meeting. It's a members meeting, but it's just a family meeting. So I'm going to be really frank with you and just kind of share my heart and share where we're at. Um, right there, it says in the first lines is that our staff pastors are overextended due to the size of our church. So what that means is largely Brian and I are your staff pastors. Okay, so we have other elders that serve in a, in a pastoral capacity, and honestly, they do a ton. And then we have a couple admins who do way more than we ever pay them. In other words, we pay them pennies compared to what they do. Noelle Jander's one. She pretty much does everything. And Aaron, he does everything. So they all do everything, and they don't get paid much, but they serve faithfully and wonderfully. But the shepherding need, the pastoral needs, the, the, the kind of day-to-day needs that aren't the administrative stuff, though there's some of that, Brian and I carry the load of. And it's a lot. It's a lot. It's hard to quantify that exactly, um, but both Brian and I go through our ups and downs, our, our weekly, monthly depressions. It's just, it's, it's difficult. And I don't want to suggest it's more difficult than any vocation. I'm just saying when you are charged to be the tip of the spear to care for 350 people, it can be difficult. And it's certainly not 500, it's not 1,000 people, but it's difficult. And so the reality is our ratio to staff, like staff pastors, to actually the church is, lo- is low. So statistically, so like if you just kind of surveyed churches, you would find that um, statistically it's about 86, that's how specific they get, 86 to 1. And so you can see we're staffed about 160 to 1, okay? And so that just takes its toll. Um, we would love to hire another pastor to help. And there's lots of things that they would do. At this point, um, we don't think that's possible. I should say it's possible, but we couldn't do it tomorrow. Um, we believe that we should, it would be wise for us to hire another pastor in order to best shepherd the church as we move forward. It is a step of faith, but it also is just meeting the needs we have right now and the needs that we predict we have, okay? So, as I said, we have an incredibly strong volunteer staff, but the reality is our giving is below what we can, what we wisely should do in hiring another pastor, it's, it's not where it could be or it should be. Um, and so what we're trying to do is give somewhat of a vision for, for what this would look like and, and what we would um, hope to accomplish if we could hire another staff person and what that will require of the church. If you turn the page, you will see the kind of description that we're talking about in terms of bringing someone else on. And in reality, this is probably six months from now. But I want to cast this vision out early so that we understand what we're talking about and what we want to be as a church. Um, right now, the stuff that's all listed there, we just make happen. But ultimately, um, it, the bigger we get, and we are not a mega church, so I don't want you to hear me saying that because I think, like, that's not that many people. Um, the bigger we get, the just more difficult it gets. And we need... Uh, to share the burden, and it's difficult for Brian and I to carry all of this, but we make do right now. But the reality is the bigger we get, we need to specialize more. 
So Brian right now, just so you understand, he is leading all worship, managing all of that, and he does a stinking phenomenal job, okay? And then he is now leading all the counseling ministry. Now, that doesn't mean Brian counsels every single person, but he certainly counsels a lot. So just think about this. He is the counseling pastor now and the worship pastor. And he still has a little bit of a toe in youth, right? It's a lot. That's just a lot of people. If Brian just takes responsibility for the counseling team that he's pastoring, the counselees that he's taking care of, all the people in the band, and then even a few of the leaders, like the key leaders, just to kind of be there for them of the youth, that doesn't include any other members, right? Just that. That's a lot for him to do. Um, And then I oversee, obviously, preaching and teaching and vision and leadership development and men's and women's ministry best that I can, restore us to home. I mean, it's just a list. And then there is this sense, not that it should be, but it is, that all roads lead to Sam, right? So if I can't figure it out, I'll call Sam. I'll text Sam. I'll email Sam. I'm this close to changing my phone number. I kid you not. Only because it was the church phone number when I first planted. And so everyone has it, right? And that's that's not like, I don't say that because like, look, I feel so sorry for us, right? I say that because uh, there's a culture created where people start to go to one or two guys and at some point our bandwidth is spent. And we have to be really careful. The last thing I want to do is see Brian go, I'm out. And the reality is, if you look pastoral statistics, both of us have already blown the average in terms of how long we've stayed in the ministry. And I want to stay in the ministry a super long time, and I know Brian does, but we have to change the culture of our church a little bit in order to be sustainable as we grow. So, We believe we need to hire another person, not tomorrow, but soon. In order to do that, our giving has to change and has to improve. And it's very likely that I'm not talking to a lot of you. It's very likely that your giving is awesome. It's also very likely that your giving is not. I'm not sure, because guess what? I don't look at the giving. I don't even look on the back of the bulletin, and some of you are like, you should. I don't. I don't like to think about money. I don't like to talk about money. And the elders and Aaron and others would say, you need to talk about money more. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about money. I don't like money. I don't want money. Are the bills paid? Yes. Can I buy this, honey? Yes. Great. That's how I function. But the reality is, um, as you look at, uh, just look at these numbers we put together on page 9, I know those numbers look big. Like you say, whoa, those are big, okay? I did a a comparison last year. I just asked some local churches. And they're churches that are about the same size of us, churches that were uh, generally like the same style, just philosophy as us. They're all older. Most of them are a little bit smaller, and they all give a lot more than us. I'm like, "What, what does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. And it could be, I'm like, do you guys talk about giving all the time? Like, what do you do? And I would give different answers. And so I don't know what that means other than I'm calling every member to take a look at their giving. 
And to really ask yourself, for all the things that you have surrendered to the Lord, is that something that you have surrendered to the Lord, honestly? And it's, I remember, honestly, before Kaylin and I were, were in ministry, and I was kind of in ministry, I wasn't pastoring, though. I remember the first time we started to tithe intentionally and proportionately and sacrificially. I remember it was like, oh my gosh, we're just going to write this check and it's just going to go? Like, you know what I could do with that money? Like, my mentality was, honestly, at this point, I see it was really twisted and very self-centered. And I remember we wrote the check, we sent it off, and I kid you not, a week later, we got some check from some insurance thing, whatever, that was almost the exact same amount. And it was like the Lord just going, I got you, quit freaking out. And from that day forward, we, we were very intentional about it. And it's a difficult thing, but if you look at here, and Aaron's better at explaining these numbers, but I'll do my best because I'm just a doofus with them. You have total givers of 81 homes, right? So again, our average attendance is 325 to 350. Total givers, 81 homes, representing 145 adults. So you can do the math. There's a big portion in our church that just don't give. Why is that? Well, sometimes it's because they're new believers and they don't understand like what, what giving even is. Sometimes it's because they're older believers and they understand it very well. And they're making intentional choices. And sometimes it's just we don't talk about it enough. And the last thing I want to do is be the pastor like, hey, guys, uh, take a couple minutes to look at the budget here. And uh, we are really low right now. So I, I don't want to do that. I never want to think about it. Honestly, my whole goal when we planted the church was to be bivocational forever so I never had to be paid. I'd have our elders tell me to quit my job as a teacher, which was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. But when I was a teacher, guess what? I knew my paycheck would cover rent, so I didn't care about it. But then suddenly all these people start showing up, and you have people to care for and things to do, and, and, and things, unfortunately, cost money. We're in a great... Aaron, Aaron and Ken, and, and Aaron in particular, leads our finances. They do phenomenally well. They take such good care of us as pastors. They take care of us as a church. We have never missed a payment we have always paid a bill, and I will say that's not because of Aaron and Kim, it's because of the Lord. The Lord has been incredibly faithful. And I could tell you story after story. One time we were at Damascus Road, and we were $18,000 below budget. And we were like, I don't know what we're going to do. So we stood with the church like, look, we're below budget, and we need people to give. A guy wrote an $18,000 check that day, and he never came back to the church again. Not because he hated the church. I think he just like, he was there and just paid and moved on. I barely even talked. I wrote a letter to the guy. Thank you so much. He never talked. I never talked to him. But the Lord, the Lord. Okay. So I'm not really worried about that, but it's my responsibility as one of your pastors to go, this is our responsibility as the church. And as you look, you can see the giving increase that we need to sustain, I believe, what our ministry is right now. In other words, if we wanted to hire somebody, this is what it would look like. This is like if every giver increased $25 a month, this is what it would look like of current givers. Or $50 a month or $75 a month. Like well, how it would impact the bottom line. But I would say this, and this, again, it will be recorded because there's certainly people that aren't here that probably need to hear this. 
for those members, for those covenanted members who have said, I am part of this church, I, I am a part owner of this church, this is my family, and I am committed to take care of it, there are those, if they just started giving, it would be all taken care of. If they just did what I believe is their biblical responsibility, it would be taken care of. So the last thing I want is to call the, the 20% of people who are serving faithfully, giving faithfully to give more. If God so stirs your heart, please do that. I'm talking about the other percentage that perhaps is not fulfilling their responsibility. Okay, That's what we like to do just to sustain it. Now, on page 10 and 11, great questions just to ask yourself. What does the New Testament even say about giving? But I would direct your eyes on page 11. And this is a summary of it, something I wrote a long time ago. We have not done a giving series. At some point, maybe we'll do one. If Aaron had his way, we would do one next week, <laughs> tonight. Um, open your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 8. Um, but uh, it says this, when our giving is intentional, right there, just intentional. Let's be honest, a lot of us give as a second thought. But if it was intentional, if it was planned for, it will be proportional. Not all of us can give the same amount. I recognize that. and Not what I'm asking for. It would be proportional. When our giving is proportional, it will be sacrificial. And when our giving is sacrificial, it will be cheerful. I am convinced. Paul talks about in his letter to the Corinthians, be a cheerful giver. I'm convinced that's the formula for being a cheerful giver. It's hard to believe serious, intentional, proportional, sacrificial giving will feel good. Yes. And I wish I could tell the stories, the various redemptive stories that have happened. We've had people buy cars for people in the church that no one even knows about. We've had people care for people in the church. It's not like we, we can, I don't even know where you post those things. And we probably need testimony nights to share all the things that are going on. This isn't a matter of, hey, we just need more money in the coffer so we can do more programs. I do believe people are giving in our church in ways that aren't always mapped out on, on the books. But I do think we need to call and challenge one another to be giving to God's mission here so we can do some pretty incredible things that are coming down the road. But in order for us to be sustained, in order for Brian and I not to um, be fried, we're going to need another staff person at some point to help us. All right, let's move on to some more fun stuff, okay? This building, built in 1880-something, I think 82 maybe, there's a little sign on the door down there, historic building, uh, originally a general store and a livery. It is now a church by the grace of God. And we have an amazing landlord. We really have an amazing landlord who is for us. He wants to sell us the building. And we've thought about whether we should buy it. There's a couple other opportunities. Um, I shouldn't say they're really opportunities. It's God working mysteriously. There is old churches that are dying. There's JCPenney buildings that are closing. But it's not like this building. This is a unique spot. And it's amazing, like, it's, it's difficult to find a space big enough to even hold a couple hundred people, but we have one, and we have one really strategically placed in a location that we have still yet to take advantage of fully. The landlord, uh, several years ago, said, I'd like to sell the building within three to five years. 
I said, okay, how much do you think it is worth? And he said, oh, probably about a million, million two. Now, mind you, if someone showed up tomorrow and gave us a piece of land in the valley, which I have prayed about and thought about, that'd be awesome. It would probably cost a million dollars just to get it going, to get it ready. So you want to build something, you, and I don't really want to build something. You're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars. So like a million dollars right now, you think, that's actually not that much money, though it is a lot of money, but it's not. And in God's economy, it's nothing, right? It's like pennies. But the landlord also said, look, um, I'll carry the loan. Which in carrying the loan means we avoid banks, we avoid realtors, we avoid a lot. We sign basically a 20 to 30 year mortgage with him, maybe with a balloon payment at 15 years or something. And we give him a down payment and we pay a mortgage that would basically be very similar, if not less than what we're paying here now for lease. And there's obviously more details to it. The space downstairs, the CrossFit space, I'm not praying that they die but I'm praying, I'm praying that they find a better location to the glory of God. Um, I, know, I know the guy down there, we've talked, and they um, have a year-long lease that ends in September. And they are uh, able to lease it for one more year after that. And after that, they can no longer lease it. And they have a screaming deal right now because the original owner was the daughter of the landlord. So Todd is a landlord's name. He's like, he's just this cool guy. And he's just like, you know what? Let's shake on it, right? He's just like, I gave my word. And so he is committed to leasing to them if they want for a year because he thinks it's right. I mean, it's right. That not, whether they want to stay or not, who knows. But within a year from September, that space will be ours if we want it. But someone could come in right now, although we have first right of refusal, and say, I'll give you $2 million for that building. That's going to be really hard for Todd to pass up. And so it is my, our conviction, the elders, that we need to consider purchasing the building sooner if we're going to purchase it. And because I believe, we believe in planting churches we don't need a, I would lo- honestly, I would love to have a space where we could meet for one service as the church. I would love that. It's really hard to find. And so we're going to plant churches as a growth restraining system, right? But even until then, we're probably going to get to three services. It's inevitable. I wouldn't be surprised to see that in the fall next year. I don't want to preach three times. I mean, I don't mind preaching three times, but it's a lot of preaching. But we need to consider securing a permanent space, and we believe there's three things that we need for a space. One, it has to be obviously a gathering space, and, and that's what we have now. Two, it has to be a training space. In other words, the first priorities are to meet the needs of the church to train and to equip. And I would love to be a church that is equipped to train musicians and train planters and cha- train counselors, and we don't have the space for that right now. My office is the uh, meeting room, office room, kids' room, do whatever you can if you don't have space room, right? We've got kids' room down there, and, and the kids are the thing that will push us into a second, another service, not up here probably. 
The third opportunity, and you don't always get this with building, is to have a missional space. What does it even mean? To have a space that blesses the city outside of Sunday morning. And you have to be strategically located. So, for example, let's just say hypothetically Zion Lutheran dies up in the hill here, which I have prayed about that church as well, that they will, to the glory of God, be reborn. <laughs> and even if, and that was, that's a space that has a school attached to it, like the nature of your mission as a church changes if you go into a building like that. It's a beautiful building, but it changes. You probably start a school. You are a, considered in many ways a traditional church. You're away from people. Let's just say J.C. Penny becomes available for a swan song, right? Okay, that changes the nature of your church, who you are, what it looks like, how you engage with the community. Right here, with all the races and parades and things they do right here, you know how people have come to our church, maybe you, because they saw it? All the starting things they do right here where we could just bless not to mention if we got a space that we could use during the week somehow to bless, even if something as simple as a meeting room for the city, a conference room. They come in, they get a nice cup of coffee, and they have a conference room. Using it for training, all kinds of, it's, it's countless, but unless we purchase the building, it's kind of a moot point. So the elders have talked about it, like, do we want this? And, and depending on who you talk to, most would be like, yeah, we just need to buy it. Todd, when he first restored the building, there were blackberries coming in the side of these walls. He's rebuilt this whole thing. And it's a solid building, though it looks a little crooked at times. It's just old. It's not going to fall. It'll last before these other buildings fall, probably. But that will require us to come together with a down payment, which is probably about 200 grand. And if you look at the, the page over. So there's a difference between giving and offering. Giving is what needs to, the water level needs to rise so that we can support what we are already doing. An offering is above and beyond. In the history of our church, and that goes back to Damascus Road, we have very rarely asked the church to stretch. It's typically we've planted a church. But we've never asked Restoration Road to stretch and to say, you know what, what if? What is the vision we could have for a church here to have a full space that's our own and be able to use it for training and gathering and blessing the city? What could we do? What amazing things could we do? That would require us to sacrificially offer beyond what our giving is. And it's a lot. I realize that. It's, it's, it's a lot. Aaron and, and our finance team has done a great job. We got 70 grand in the bank. So we're healthy financially. Would rather not write a check for everything in our savings and be gone. But I got enough faith to do it. Right? So what we're, we would like to do is we would like to offer to the landlord to purchase it before the end of the year. So this is, you know, to December. And that money can be accounted in lots of different ways. Aaron did some numbers here to kind of explain this is what it would look like on a monthly basis, like if we were to give. There might be someone here like, 
I'll write you a $130,000 check right now. Stranger things have happened. We can give and say, you know what, we're just going to give, and you, and you signal an extra offering, and we start collecting money, and we're not going to put the thermometer up, but we'd keep people in, you know, informed of this is what we're doing, this is how much we have. But it would take sacrifice. It would take you and me, because let's not forget that the shepherds of the church are also sheep. So I'm also challenged, like, what, what, what am I going to invest in that which may last beyond me? Well, maybe investing in things that we don't fully see the fruit of, but we see the fruit in the future. I think we could do amazing things, but it will take us $200,000 to do it, at least to start that journey. And so calling the church to consider that, we're going to start talking about that regularly, and we're going to start basically socking money away to make a down payment. And we are open to questions. We're open to like, what are you going to do? And some of the questions we have answers to, some we don't. Ownership of a building is very different than leasing a building. There's other costs attached to that, like fixing the air conditioner, which will be fixed before we would buy the building. But if the roof stops leaking right now or starts leaking, we call Todd. If the roof, roof is leaking, we own it, I call Dick. <laughs> right? Things change. But the opportunities change. And the things we can do for the community and just for our church, for those who work in Kids Road, especially on some of the crazy days, can we imagine having just two or three more classrooms? Having office space for people to counsel in that's not Sam's space with weird Star Wars stuff in there. Having uh, a place where, honestly, just, as, as, like, people think this is kind of silly, maybe, like, that's not important, but how about just a fellowship space to talk to people between services? Because guess what? Once first service is done, we're like, get out. We got to get going again. And we're like, why don't you start on time? Because we want to talk to each other. We got no time to transition. But if we had more space, simple things like that become easy. So $200,000. We might have that next month. We might not have that to December. I believe God will move and stir in the hearts of those whom he will stir. And that's where that passage out of Exodus is. When they were building the tabernacle, there was the regular giving that they were required to do. And then they said, hey, we got to build this thing. And it says that the Lord stirred in the heart. So I don't need to twist arms. I don't say, I know how much money you make, Bob. What do you think? Like, I don't need to do that. I'll wait for the Lord to stir and the Lord to do his work and we'll be blown away by what he does. Last couple things. On page 15, so again, you can go over this stuff later. We are committed to planting a church. We're not planting tomorrow. We're not planting next year, but we are saying, look, we need to start praying about that now. We are at the size where Damascus Road planted twice. And it's scary to think, man, we're going to plant again? Yes, but in order to plant again, we have to have another staff member in, and that staff member has to help train those guys or that guy or that team and lead that direction. I can do that, but that takes me away from other things I should be doing. And I can help in that, but I shouldn't be leading that. Where do we plant? I don't know. I'd love to plant Monroe. 
Um, but we kind of like go like this. How far can we reach? Someone could show up tomorrow and say, I want to plant in Wenatchee, and we're like, okay, let's talk about that. We could talk about whether or not more churches should be planted. We have a whole thing written on the website about that, why plant more churches, but we believe we are called to plant churches, and the decision-making we have, like why would you plant a church and where, is written there. We have a rhyme and a reason to what we do. And one of the most important things is, do we have a dude to lead it? When we planted Restoration Road Church, we weren't convinced we necessarily had a dude to take over Damascus Road, though we had a dude to help lead Restoration Road. And we tried to plant a church to by avoiding pain. We had planted Jim up in Mount Vernon, and we we're like, okay, that really hurt. It was beautiful and wonderful, but that was like having a baby. It hurt. How can we have a baby and avoid pain? Right? And so we tried to do it a different way, and what we found out is that we exchanged one kind of pain for another. And so we recognize that it's difficult to plant a church, but there are people in here called to be part of a planting team. And we are going to reproduce at some point, and we hope that some of you will be a part of it. But at that point, we have to find someone to help lead that. And I'm not sure they're here. They might be here. But we got to work in that direction and aim in that direction. And the last thing, in order to help us do that, on the last page there, before Mark talks, verse, six, uh, verse 16, page 16, the elders are exploring different organizations to partner with. And this might shock some of you, but we are asking ourselves, we are part of one organization that was founded when we planted Jim in 2010, and that's called Three Strand. And it's growing there are about 10 churches in there now, and we've got some amazing stuff coming. You won't even believe, because I won't even tell you right now, but it's pretty rad. I want to tell you, but I'm not, because you'd be like, what'd you say? So I'll just leave it there. It's a, it's a great network, but it's very regional, very Puget Sound. And we recognize that as a church, we believe it would benefit us as leaders, but also as a body to partner with something larger. We used to be a part of Acts 29, I actually began conversations again to go, how have you guys changed? Because there was reasons why we left Acts 29. So we are at this time, and I just want you to know, because I want to, we're an open book. We will share anything with you, and we love your input. If you want to have conversations, don't send me a super long email, because I'd rather just have a conversation, but you can send me an email too, and then say, let's have a conversation. We're looking at everything from networks to denominations. And we've asked, like, I know many of us come with baggage for denominations and even baggage for networks. We go, well, it's possible that there's a lot of support there that we could have that would really bless us as a small independent church in Snohomish, Washington. And so we're exploring that, and we don't know what that fully means, but I want you to know that as we bring that up again at some point, and we may not that you go, okay, this makes sense, or this is what scares me. Are you sure about this? And we go, yeah, we're trying to be wise with that. But the goal is that we would partner with a group that helps us to fulfill our mission, doesn't just put our name on a website somewhere and make us feel good about ourselves. If it doesn't help us fulfill our mission, then why be a part of it? But if it can help us fulfill our mission... It can help us fund training pastors. It can help us by bringing interns. It can help us by connecting us with mission organizations that are already fully established. 
there's all kinds of things that we could participate in that we're exploring at this point. Okay. Last thing I wanted Mark to share because I thought it would be awkward for me to share it. Um, many of you uh, know that, um, and some of you don't, that I will be going on sabbatical. And so I wanted Mark to kind of take a minute to explain what that means so that you understand what that means and you either, I don't know how you react, but I'll let Mark explain it. Yeah, what that means is that Sam is going to be going on sabbatical. His last uh, Sunday here will be, I think, May 21st. And then he's got... 14th will be the last sermon, and then will you be here on the 21st? No, okay, so, what's that? Oh, he'll be here during the week. Um, Sam has worked uh, for the past 11 years as a pastor full-time. Uh, well, he was kind of, uh, well, he was full-time while he was teaching at the very beginning for the first couple of years, but he's done that without an extended uh, period of time off. He's had a couple weeks here or a week here or a week there. Uh, he does get some time off paid during the year. I think he, he, he gets four weeks of paid time off a year, but um, four weeks isn't very much um, when you're involved at the level that he is. Um, our, our bylaws actually state that um, a pastor, a full-time pastor, or a staff pastor is eligible. Actually, it just says any pastor is eligible for a sabbatical every seven years, um, but it's required after ten years. And he's going on his 11th year right now. And so he's actually overdue for a sabbatical, a time of uh, rest, a time of, of being able to uh, withdraw from ministry, to be able to spend time with his family, to be able to kind of uh, recharge his, his heart, his, his soul. Um, Cheryl and I were able to do that last year, and I'm not involved nearly at the level that Sam is. I tried to tell Sam last year that he should have taken last year, but he really felt that he should do it this year. So uh, Cheryl and I were able to kind of disengage for a few months last summer, and it did a wonder for us as well. But what does it mean for, uh, for you and for, for um, our, our pastor Sam and his, his family? That means that if your marriage is in crisis between May 14th and the end of August, don't call Sam, okay? Yeah. He is not available to help you navigate the crisis that's going on in your life because he is officially um, not going to be engaging in that capacity, okay? Uh, we want Sam to be around for many, many more years. Uh, I love uh, the pastoring that Sam does. I love being in a church where Sam is my lead pastor. I don't want Sam to uh, do what he said Brian would do if, if we didn't get another staff pastor and, and tap out. You see... Uh, I don't know how many of you realize what kind of a gift we have in our lead pastor. And um, I'm looking forward to him being able to take some time this summer to be able to do what he hasn't been able to do in, in a long time. Uh, a time for him to be able to just um, develop a hobby. That man doesn't really have a hobby because he hasn't had time to have a hobby. But I'm praying that this summer he does that. He actually engages in something that, from which he can draw some joy other than uh, working in the lives and the hearts of, of us all and you all. And so I hope that you guys are uh, going to be praying for him and his family, praying that he's able to actually do that, because for, for Sam, it's not easy for him to, to, um, to not do what he's done for 11 years, because he loves it. He has a passion for it. He has a heart and a desire to shepherd this church. 
and he is uniquely gifted uh, at doing so. He's uniquely gifted at preaching to you, to us, to me. Uh, he's uniquely gifted in shepherding, in uh, counseling, in, in, in loving. And so it's not going to be easy for him. It'll probably take him two months to really fully get used to the idea of being on sabbatical, and then he'll really enjoy the last month. But I pray that he will uh, actually start from now, actually, until then, slowly kind of minimizing the amount of work that he does every single day so that when he actually starts, it'll be a little bit easier for him. Here's the other thing that I want you all to keep in mind. While Sam is gone, that means that uh, those of us who are also elders will have more responsibility. Um, we're going to share in the preaching. We're going to have a few uh, other three-strand pastors come in and fill in uh, our pulpit a few times. But largely, it's going to be for, uh, for myself and for Brian Dixon and Brian Kirkman and Eli Herzler to fill this uh, place to, uh, to preach. And we look forward to that. Uh, and there's a lot of other things that um, Brian in particular will be, um, since he's on staff, will be um, having to carry that he doesn't normally. And, but there's also a lot of you that will probably step up and take on maybe a few things that you haven't. You might be asked to do it. Or maybe you'll see uh, an opening where you think, okay, this is where I'm going to need to fill in. Because here's our goal. When Sam comes back in at the end of August, he's not going to get all this dumped back in his lap, okay? His focus will be primarily preaching and teaching, okay? Because that is what I believe we really need him for and, and for uh, also casting vision for this church, which he's also uniquely gifted in. So um, it all comes back also to that idea we need another staff person. So I pray that when... Sam has talked to, to you uh, today about, about giving, about, about what our future might look like with another staff person. I pray you'll really consider that. I pray you'll uh, do as he mentioned, that you'll, you'll consider how your own giving has been and uh, doesn't need some correction in light of what God is asking you to do. And um, it's up to us. It's up to each one of us individually, and it's up to us as a church uh, to support what God has going on here. And I'm excited about our future. I am, uh, I, I, you know, as we spent a few days, uh, a week and a half ago, uh, at a three-strand summit or conference, uh, all of us pastors together with some of the other three-strand pastors, we had time just as uh, our church pastors to talk about our future, and, and um, it was very exciting. It's extremely exciting to consider what God will do here in Snohomish through this church and beyond. And so uh, we have some things to look forward to. And uh, I hope you join in with that uh, in, in, in every way. All right. That's all I got to say. Sam, you want to close it out? All right. So in summary, I'm leaving. Good luck. No. I've had lots of, I've asked lots of pastors about a sabbatical. So, like, basically, Mark, uh, we kind of forced Mark to go last year, and he wanted to come back early, and Cheryl made sure he didn't. I think that sometimes Cheryl wanted to come back early, and Mark made sure she didn't, because both he and I and the other, we love being here. We love this church deeply. And I've asked, ugh, 
I've asked pastors about sabbaticals. Like they told me, like, what's it like? Like, oh, don't go. When you get back, it's everything changes. And I'm like, you know what though? That's what I hope. And it's not that I want the core of who we are to change, but that last page, I put some really important things in bold. That number one, Jesus is our head pastor, and that's never going to change. I am not the head pastor. Jesus is, and I'm one of the fellow pastors under him. But secondly, we are the body. We are the body. I'm just a part, and you are just a part, and I happen to be a part. Let's just call me a foot. I'm tired. Just a tired foot, right? And guess what? The body can get by without a foot for a while. Really can't. It's better with the foot, but it can get by without a foot. But it can't get by without a foot and an arm and a hand and a shoulder and a, you know, whatever, all these parts. That's all of us. And so the change that I do hope happens is that you and I and anyone else that hears this gets a true sense of ownership in this place and really begins to look at one another as family and makes the vision of this church your own so that investing in it becomes easy and becomes exciting and becomes worshipful if we give God glory to all that He does despite us. That's what I hope. And so uh, I can open it up. I'm going to pray, but I'd be open to questions if you like anyone should hear because like you think it's important uh, in the last couple minutes. If not, I'll stay here and we can, I'll answer questions privately. But is there any questions about largely what we're talking about? Big things, right? Be able to have a napkin conversation about who we are as a church. We feel like we need another staff person at some point in the next six months probably. We need to raise 200 grand in the next nine months and buy this place and do some credible stuff with it. Um, and I'm going on sabbatical and someday we're going to plant a church. There you go. There's a summary. So any questions that, that you feel would be good for everyone to hear or for anyone to hear, just open it up briefly. Always have an idea, Bryce. Always have an idea. That person is not at our church right now, and uh, we really are trying to more focus on role because I, have, I know my flesh well, and I know how much I can create a role based off of the person I want. So uh, I think we're, that's why we're going slow, and that's why we're not doing anything before our sabbatical. Um, but I think we just have the role figured out, and I laid out there pretty, pretty clear of what it is. So I have ideas. I give you a short list, but no one yet. Yes, sir. He want, he is committed to selling it in the next three to five years for purposes of retirement. So we have a five-year lease at this point. So uh, which I think we're one year into. So and it incrementally goes up every year, like minuscule amount. So we could wait five years. My concern is that someone would come before that time and buy it, and then in five years, we're looking for a new place. So that's my biggest concern, uh, because it's a very attractive space, and we've made it much more attractive. And once the CrossFit's out, it's become more attractive. So I'm trying to stay ahead of it, is the bottom line. But we do have a five-year lease, and he wants to sell it at the very latest by the end of that. 
So in the next three to five years, he is committed to selling it because he's committed to full retirement. And that is his retirement, or part of it. If you don't know, the landlord is Wolf Plumbing, Todd Wolf. So that's who it is, in case that makes any difference. Any other questions? Um, the question was, is there any specific areas? Um, I would just say this, like, my hope is that, like, it seems like in the summertime, there's this idea that, like, uh, the worship of God comes on, goes on vacation, and the gathering of God people becomes uh, second, third, fourth, fifth down the list. I would say that uh, my hope is that you recognize, especially this year, that even just the normal rhythms of ministry need greater attention. And I would say, which Brian would never admit to, that dude's going to need support, not because of Brian, but because, like, if Brian wasn't here, I would need support. Um, and so I think Brian and Sarah in particular are going to need much prayer, much help. I mean, over-the-top kind of stuff. Let's say if you're going to do something and step up, yeah, make sure that, you know, the boxes are checked and, and, and you're gathering where you should be gathering. But I would say that um, when stuff comes out, particularly on Facebook, wherever we're communicating, like there's a need, please step up immediately. Because what has happened in the past, or what I typically do, and I don't say this is a good thing, is I go, I just won't ask him, but I'll just do it. And I'm guessing that Brian may be tempted to do the same thing. Don't let him do that. So bug him. And, and, and be noisy in the sense of like, this is your place, this is your home, this is, this is a place where you're needed and wanted, and for you to leave leaves a hole. Make sure that if you were to disappear tomorrow, you leave a big hole. And that is wherever you're individually uniquely gifted, but also it's just where needs show up. My guess, my hope is during the summer, I come back and this carpet's gone. Okay, because we have a, we have a, the landlord said he's going to split it with us, and so we're working on that. Well, there'll be a time, I'm sure, where they say, hey, we need guys to rip out the carpet. Please don't be Brian and Mark here. Because they'll do it. I just don't want them to do it. Um, so those kinds of things, just be ready. Be ready, be eager, and be present. That would be the best. Yes, sir. Um, thank you for asking that. Um, I'm tired. And, uh, and I mean mentally. And um, you can pray for me my sabbatical theme, which is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ. Joy, which I have, but it's depleted. Prayer, um, I need to press into the Lord more for myself than for others. 
and thanksgiving because I'm convinced that when we are not thankful, we tend to focus on that which we are not thankful for. And when you are thankful, when you just stop, I'm literally, in preparing for my sabbatical, I'm, I'm meeting with a coach slash counselor, just have him ask me questions. And some of my assignments that I'm even coming up with, because he's a brilliant counselor, he kind of goes, hey, so what homework would I make? Hey, I should do this. And he's like, good idea. I'm like, that's brilliant. I should do that. But I'm just making lists of thankfulness. And as I prepare for my sabbatical, I've, I've had some really dark times, honestly. And um, I think the Lord has really squeezed me a bunch before my sabbatical. And so I really hope that this time before the sabbatical is discovery. So you can ask the Lord to squeeze me further if need be to get all the crud out so that I actually enjoy my sabbatical. I don't, um, I'm not in the fetal position, and I have friends who have been before their sabbaticals. I'm not going, oh gosh, senioritis, I wish you'd come here now. I'm not like that. And I'm grateful that I'm not, but I want the sabbatical to be a time of really disconnecting mentally and loving my kids and loving my wife and completing projects in my home and just resting mentally. So um, I've had guys tell me like, whoa, I wrote a book on my sabbatical. I'm like, not going to do it. Um, I'm probably honestly going to change my phone number. I may change my email address and um, I will um, spend three months uh, freaking out for about a month, as Mark said, of like, and then going, hey, this is pretty great. And I do pray, and this is what I pray for during my sabbatical, that I come back, which I believe I will, re-energized for another seven to 10 years, excited about what we're doing and ready to push hard. Because I pushed hard for 10 years, Um, planted a couple churches, planted a network, and I'm just tired. It's like you're scraping the bottom of the barrel now, and I'm getting by, but I just need to stop for a bit. So thank you. Just pray for joy, prayer, thankfulness. That'll be good. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So setting up online stuff to make it more automatic. Yeah, yeah. No, I we've we've dialogued about that. I don't know. I can't remember what we did and didn't do. There's depending on how you do it. Sometimes there's percentages that are taken out that we try to avoid. But I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think that Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of automatic things for for you to do with your own bank. I do think it's kind of like um, like if we had no signs on our church, no one would ever probably show up because they don't know. So sometimes just having those things in place actually help people fulfill their responsibilities because we need help with sometimes those disciplines. So we're still exploring it. Most of the time we've decided not to do those things because of the percentages attached to it. Um, and it might be worth it though. And so we can explore that again. There's also a little bit of impersonal stuff. Like we... we we want people to give, but like we're not, I, let me give you an example. Um, we could pass the plate. There are many pastors, my, my friends, who would say, pass the plate, you're giving, it'll go up 20%. We literally will say those words. And we've deliberately not done that because we don't like passing the plate. I remember sitting with a friend who was not a believer at a church where I was an elder at, and the plate came by, and she was like, oh, I didn't bring my checkbook. I'm so sorry. I'm like, you should not be thinking about giving. That's not wise here. So, like, there's, there's some other philosophical things there, too, that sometimes our philosophy bucks up against practicality. So we have to balance that kind of well. So we'll, we'll explore some other options. Anything else? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you. I will, uh, as the last thing, and then I'll pray, I will say this, and I know I speak for Brian as well. Um, the church, represented by you, have always taken very good care of us. Um, and when we first planted, and we were like, what are we going to fill out our salary? I was like, well, I'm a teacher. Let's just, just pay how much a teacher. I mean, that's how we did it. We don't, we don't know. We're, we're kind of silly and foolish. But really, um, we feel very loved, very cared for. I know the church is in great hands, and I know above anything, Jesus loves the church way more than any of us do. So I have nothing really to worry about, whether it shrinks or grows. I'm sure I'll come back and there'll be like Brian Dixon bobbleheads everywhere and be like, yeah, he's amazing. Like, that's great. So happy for him. <laughs> but <laughs> BrianDixon.com. Um, but the, the church has, has taken care of us very well, and so we thank you for that. And I would say more than anything, and Mark made this observation a few months ago, and it might have been during his sabbatical even, I feel like my life is really blessed in a multiplicity of ways. And Mark said, well, you know why that probably is? It's because there's a lot of people that pray for you. And so I, more than anything, yes, I would love giving to go up, but really that's not in my hands. That's in the Lord's. But thank you for praying. Prayer has power. 
and it has resulted in tremendous blessing in my life for the last 11 years, though the last 11 years of my life have been incredibly difficult. They've been the most glorious and wonderful years of my life, but I don't think they even compare to what I think is coming. So I'm excited about that. So I'm going to pray. I'll stay and talk and chat if you have questions. Um, I'll post this online. I'll also post the audio online so you can like, what did he say? Um, and if we change anything about giving or how you can give, we'll post that as well. Uh, but thank you for being supportive. Yes. Oh, and then the members list. Just check the members list. If you're not on there, there may be just be an error or just a correction needed. Like, hey, we're members and we're not on the list. Just let us know. You may just need to sign the covenant or maybe we just have our records wrong. Please check that. That's Noelle. She knows way more than I do. So, yes, listen to her. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for this church. I thank you that there are many people, Lord, that will be in heaven, but there are few that are here that I will know that we are building eternal relationships here, Lord. And so I pray that as we do that, as we love one another, and as we share that love with those who don't know you yet together, Lord, I pray you will do something amazing here. You will give us all a vision for, for what is and what could be, that you will give us all a sense of ownership in this place. I thank you for all the members of the church. I thank you for all the leaders of this church. And Lord, would you continue to sustain this church and not just make it big, but make it healthy in God-glorifying, disciple-making and equipping, and help us to be the church that you call us to be in your word, and help us to make the sacrifices that you call us to do in your word. Thank you, Father, for the privilege it is to pastor this church. Thank you for those who love each other so well in this church, and I pray just a blessing and protection upon Restoration Road Church and its ministry. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'll stay here and answer questions. Thank you for coming. Sayonara.